Hey, I'm Paul Stringfellow. Welcome to Tech Interviews. This week we ask, webcache, webcache, one night a webcache. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to this week's Tech Interviews. Um, so in the final episode of this uh, four, ser- uh, four series shows that we've done around date security, um, I'm going to pick up on a, on a new problem. Um, I think uh, probably like many of the people who listen to the show, I, I spend a lot of time going to different user groups and, and sessions. Uh, and risk, the risk sometimes of going to this, some of these shows is that you learn about a problem that you never even knew existed and then realize you have to do something about it. Um, so, so this episode is going to focus on one of those such, uh, such topics. Um, uh, with a gentleman I met at a recent uh, tech user group event um, o- over in Manchester. So uh, I'm joined today by uh, uh, somebody's name who I'm no doubt going to mangle because uh, my Italian pronunciations are awful, uh, but Francesco Gialetta. And, and I know I've mangled it, Francesco, so I apologise already. Um, that so, um, sounds perfect to me, Paul. <laughs> oh, that's it. That's your t- you're much too kind. So, um, well, well, uh, well, actually, to kick off, why don't you unmangle your name for me, uh, uh, introduce yourself uh, and tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as Paul said, my name's Francesco Jarletta, uh, and I'm managing director of a, a company called Avanite. Um, and at Avanite, what we do is we look at, at the field of web data. Um, as Paul said, it's something which people don't really know much about. Um, so we've put a lot of work into finding out about it because there's there's not a lot out there uh, around this. And it, it's basically what happens to you when you go to a website and what that website actually does to your machine and the data that it downloads to your machine. Uh, and then what actually happens with that data. And some of it's quite eye opening. Yeah, and I think that was the uh, that was the thing that came to me uh, at the event where I saw you present, and, and it, was, it was the reason I was keen to get you on the show because I think it's um, it, it's going to be an interesting topic, and I, and I think maybe like my, like uh, myself, many people probably just just aren't aware of the problem. So so why don't we start there actually? So so, so why don't you, you explain a little bit? So you've kind of talked about this idea of web cache and, and, and web data. Um, so so explain the problem to us. So what what is that? Why, why is that an issue? What what what's the problem? What's the scale of the, the challenge we're looking at? Um, well, web data in itself, and I, th- I suppose that there are numerous aspects to it, but the, the most common aspects that people know about really are sort of your browsing history and cookies. Uh, and probably everybody's seen that they've got quite a few cookie files on their machine and not really understand what they are and, and what they're about. So when you actually go to a website, um, and the current EU legislation is that a website actually has to get your consent before putting any data on your machine and using that data. Um, unfortunately, in reality, it doesn't actually happen that way. So what you will actually see is a lot of the banners today um, merely notify you and give you a continue button rather than an accept. Um, And it's probably more of a a technical problem as to why that is rather than than a a, a logistics problem, if you like. Um, So you will go to a website and that website will obviously go into your browsing history and you may get a prompt to download cookies to your machine. And to use the website, you've pretty much got to agree to that policy. The big problem is that what you don't know is what cookies are actually downloaded to your machine and what the purpose of them are. And unbeknownst to you, 
there's a lot of third-party sites that actually download data to your machine as well. So I may go to, um, I don't know, a, a Yahoo site or a, a site from Google. Um, they all pretty much do the same, but whenever you have a link to that in that web page you go to, and that, that might be an embedded picture, um, it could be a Facebook like button, whatever it is, you actually open a connection through to that secondary website or as they're known, third party websites. That third party website is then allowed to put data onto your machine, which is why you tend to see that you know, if you go to, to CNN, you'll see that your cookie count goes up by roughly 100, and that's just from the actual landing page. You might have one cookie from CNN. The other ones are all from third-party sites, and primarily these are used for tracking and advertising purposes. And I do want to sort of draw the distinction between the two. So an advertising cookie is simply used to give you a targeted advert. So we've all had the experience where, you know, we've been to Amazon, we've done a search for, uh, I don't know, a, a, the new iPhone, let's say, and all of a sudden you've got bombarded with uh, adverts from iPhones wherever you go. That's from the actual advertising cookie itself. The question is, how do they know which um, which adverts to actually bombard you with? And that comes more about the tracking information. And from a, a data security point of view, that's the ones we really need to be concerned about. Um, so basically, you'll go to a website, they will put a tracking cookie down on your machine, and at that point, you are unknowingly sending them information about your system, about yourself, about your browsing habits. And the third party company is essentially building up a profile of you. And they do call this user profiling. Um, and that, that data is, is quite considerable. In, in its size. I think uh, TechUG, as, as Paul said, we met there. One guy was saying he, he requested how much data Facebook had on him. And he came back with a 47,000 page document, which detailed all his clicks, all his likes, all his friends, all the other pages he'd been to, etc. So it's quite a problem for both the user personally and, of course, for business, because people out there are, are, are learning what you're doing and what your business actually does. Yeah, and, that, and I think that was, um, again, one of the interesting things I saw when you, uh, when you when you presented this topic was that, of course, you know, lots, lots of things we've talked about there are the, uh, you know, the big big websites that we all know about. So maybe I've gone to Yahoo or CNN or gone on Facebook or whatever, and, and it's using both these, you know, grabbing this kind of advertising stuff as well as trying to tracking your movements uh, around the, you know, kind of your general internet browsing movements and then targeting you based on that. But you were sharing as well some stories about some of the things that you've found that also get stored within those that, that kind of web data so things that are 
you know, potentially even greater data security risks. So I think you gave some examples of things where internal websites where people have been able to track this information um, and you're seeing things like links to, you know, maybe an internal system with uh, user credentials in it, you know, and it's, it's that kind of stuff that you can find as well, isn't it? Yeah, this is this is uh, particularly one of the issues. I mean, these companies, once they run this cookie, it's free to run anywhere on your system. You know, the main things it'll bring back are your IP addresses. And you'll have seen this yourself when you go to a website and it says you've come from IPX. That's all via this cookie. Um, the web data itself is quite interesting because when you actually go and look at your browsing history, for example, um, within Internet Explorer or Chrome, you'll get this is the page you visited, this is the page you visited. When we actually look within the web cache at what is stored, which gives you far more information, you actually get to see a lot of other links in there and a lot of other third-party links. Now, what we saw with one specific customer, um, and they were a, a, a large global insurance company, and they actually had a lot of their data held in the cloud. And what we could see in the web cache quite clearly was the URL of their web app, but when the users actually went and changed their usernames, we saw in plain text the username, the old password, and the new password. So we were able to, you know, we put the URL into a web browser and immediately got prompted for a username and password. You know, at that point, we securely de deleted all the data, got back in contact with the company and said, you have a potential security hole here, yeah, and this is the way that you can get around this problem. Um, so we were able to provide that, but there's a lot of data, and it, there's no de facto standards around web data. That's the problem. So it could be usernames, it can be passwords, it could be anything which is actually either stored in it or is actually being sent for them by another means, if you like. Yeah, cause you you also um, you also talked about this idea of this kind of, of web cache that you you keep in. It, it's it, it just might be worth just for for the the listeners that maybe just to go over some of the stuff you talked about about why this now exists and and some of the uh, kind of technical architecture changes that have driven us to do this. So you know the way that this data was stored traditionally has changed a little bit, hasn't it? It has, and I think that's why it's coming more to light at the moment. Um, and people are starting to realize that there's an issue. So if we look back to sort of Windows 7, IE 9 days, um, web data in the way of cookies and, and history was simply just a few small files on disk. Um, the, the history was literally just a few shortcuts. So it never really caused any impact to the user. You know, my background is very much in the virtualization arena and user virtualization, so very much around user profiles. Now, these things form such a small part of the user profile, it was never a real consideration. But as of sort of IE 10, Windows 8 time, Microsoft changed the way they actually store this web data and now they've introduced the concept of a web cache which is a database which sits alongside what previously were your cookie files um, so your cookie files are stored on disk but they're all referenced via the web cache 
and the web cache database is being used more and more and the things we see in there are obviously some web stuff such as your browsing history these references to cookies um, but we also see your UNC paths in there and your file names so we've just literally finished a, a case study with a, a council and the highest thing they saw in there was the C drive but then they also saw their USB drives and they could actually see when people plugged the USB drive, what files were coming off there? They had all the uh, UNC paths and all the file names to all the data that they were bringing off. Everybody's home drives, all the shares. And, you know, that's probably because of the, the link between Explorer and Internet Explorer and how closely together they are. And to be fair, that's what drew us to this market originally it wasn't the actual data that we spoke about previously but it was the size of this web cache because this thing starts life at 32 megabytes but it grows and grows and even if you go to your browser and you delete for say your browsing history it doesn't actually physically remove it from the database all it does is stop it from displaying it to you um, so the biggest web cache we've heard of is nine gigabytes. So from a virtualization point of view of having to store that data out at log off and then bring it back in at log on, it has a real detriment to the user experience. Um, and we've literally, again, just finished a POC with a, a customer of ours in Australia and they were seeing login times of up to 10 minutes. And after implementing our software to sort of clear this web data, they're now down to a one minute logon. And 45 seconds of that is simply down to printer mappings and how they do that. So it's not a small problem. And I think that more than anything else is forcing people to look at it. Then when they realize what this data actually does and what it is, that's where they they suddenly start to talk of it because you know you're probably saying that a good 90% of what is actually on your machine you don't need it's not there for your business it's not there for your users you know you've got a third party who's putting data on your machine you're paying for that and then you're sending him all your information which he then gathers about you and then sells to the highest bidder, unfortunately. And that's how you get your, your targeted advertising is because an advertising company has purchased that data. And that's what really struck me about um, everything just said there and uh, and obviously when we first met. But I think, you know, the, it, it was kind of those two prongs. I think, I mean, you talked about there the, the, the biggest web cache that you've seen is this kind of nine gig in size. And that's nine gig of information that you've got absolutely no idea what's in there necessarily. You know, you just don't know. This is just data that's being collected. Um, and, and this also, you know, and, and so we've got from, um, you know, that hugely important data security risk at one end through to, although may sound more, mundane but actually in daily impact to, to your, kind of your daily operational life across a business or you know just what you're doing on your, your local machine when you go home has a has a real impact in terms of performance and, and then productivity as well you know if, if it's taking me what well, i think the example he's given before i'm sure he's saying but you know it's taken eight or nine minutes to log on 
because of the size of a file that you didn't even know you were collecting that has a huge impact on productivity user experience and you know uh, and maybe the view that people have of it uh, across an organization um uh, and this doesn't matter um i think from, from what you're saying this doesn't particularly matter which browser you use does it on your machine this is not just about uh windows 10 and using edge or internet explorer this is if i'm using firefox chrome uh, are they all writing to the same web cache or do they create their own as well or um yeah, one thing I just wanted to say on that, Paul, was just to bear in mind with the web cache, the web cache isn't the data that's collected that's then transmitted. The web cache is actually the data generated by what's going on in your browser. So in the instance of username and passwords, for example, it was the web application itself that was generating a URL that had the username and password within it. Um, where the data is being gathered from is from a number of places. As I said, for example, the IP address um, is taken from the IP address of your machine. That's not readily stored within the web cache. Um, to address your question on browsers, um, the web cache is purely a Microsoft thing. Now, that means everything Microsoft goes in there, which is where we said we had the UNC path, we had uh, IE, uh, Microsoft Edge writes to it. What also writes to it, which is very interesting, is your store applications. Because the change was made to the core Winina API. So anything which is user-facing generally uses Winina in Windows. And all your store applications all tend to communicate to a back end. And it can be something as, as simple as, as Candy Crush, um, or it could be any client server application. Each one of those has its own set of web data. So they all have their own cookies. They all have their own uh, favorites. They all have their own history. So that gets recorded. So what we do see is on a Windows 10 machine, your web cache is actually double in size than you would see on a Windows 7 machine. And actually, as of the latest fall release that's been available for the last couple of days, the cookie files we spoke about as files on disk have now disappeared. And they are totally stored within the web cache. So again, from your point of view, you have even less visibility now because it's all within this database. As for the other browsers, such as Chrome and Firefox, they do things in a similar way, but they have their own set of databases. So it compounds it because if you go and visit a website in IE, you will download a whole load of data. If you go and visit the same website in Chrome, you will double up on all that data. And you've got two sets of cookies that are both sending information out. So kind of doubling the problem and, and doubling the risk potentially uh, there as well. So, um, so, so what, uh, you know, I, I think you've articulated the, the, the challenge and, uh, and maybe like myself, I think maybe a lot of people are listening to this thinking I, I've not really considered that, you know, maybe my machines were slow to boot up, but I've not really thought, you know, I've not really investigated this as a potential. Mm -hmm. And certainly, you know, I know I, I hadn't necessarily thought about the level of data security risk that comes in with this. You know, I think we're all, you know, we're aware of the changes in the, in the way that sites can track your behavior 
behaviour. You know, they've got to ask for some level of consent around um, uh, around cookies. But like you said, it's not normally consent. It's more of a warning to say, I am going to be collecting cookies. Um, and it's an, if you don't want me to, don't visit a website. But, um, so it's, but, but I mean, reality, I, I mean, what can people do about this challenge? You know, how can you start to, you, there's clearly a problem there. So, so how can you start to address it? You know, what, what kind of things should we, should we be looking to do? Um, there are a, a, a few ways of addressing some of it, but nothing which addresses the core problem, unfortunately. So, you know, when, when we started off, we went to the likes of Microsoft, we went to Citrix, um, we went to uh, AppSense, who are now Ivanti, who manage data. Um, because at that point, as I said, it was all about size to us. So it was, guys, we've got this massive thing here. What do we do with it? And there was nothing there to do with it. Microsoft were pretty much, if it gets too big, delete it. And the other guys were like, yeah, we know about it, but that's not our key function. You know, we're there to keep data and then restore it back down. So we couldn't find anybody that was doing anything about it. Um, there are some pieces of software out there, such as ad blocker and stuff, which are designed mainly to, to stop the advert itself. So they're looking at the advert appearing on your web browser. Um, if it's uh, coming from a site they know about, then they will actually block that from appearing. So that's, the, that's essentially the reason for Avonite today is there is no real solution around this. Um, so we, we put one together. So we now have a solution which um, is... A simple piece of software in that it's a nice MSI install and it's completely configurable by group policy. And you can build up quite a complex set of rules or you can run a simple set of rules. So we have a tick box for remove known advertising and tracking cookies. But you also have a whitelist and blacklist functionality. So you can be quite flexible and quite granular and really control what's on your machine. And we've seen sort of, if I take the cookies as an example, we've seen people going from 10, 15,000 cookies on their machine down to three, 400 cookies. Um, so it's, it's quite, a, quite, a, quite a big impact that we can have. Um, on the case study I mentioned previously, they actually did use Adblocker. So they were seeing around about two th 2001, I actually think, was the average number of cookies that they saw after they'd put uh, our web data control system on there. There was 227 cookies. So it's a difficult one without actually getting down to it because there are so many companies out there. And because, as you, as you said originally, nobody's really looked at this before. Unfortunately, they've been allowed to do, you know, essentially what they want for a long time. So unless you have a complete lockdown system where you are only allowing specific access to specific URLs and blocking everything else, unfortunately, something's going to get in. And a lot of the times, it's even the ones you want require it. You know, double click um, was a very big uh, uh, cookie uh, provider out there and a tracking provider out there. 
and Google have bought them. So when you go there, you will always get a Google click. Stuff. And, and some of this data we actually use every day and it is beneficial, don't yeah. get me wrong. Um, Google Analytics, for example, people use Google Analytics cookies to um, check their websites out. We do it here. You know, who's been on our website? Where have they come from? How long have they spent on it? Some of it is beneficial to your, to your business, but it is the stuff you don't know about. I mean, these web pages have what they call web beacons in them a lot of the time. And they are simply a one pixel image, which is transparent. And that suffice to open a third party connection. Um, that's likened to like a marketing email. We always get, we all get marketing emails that come down. They have the same sort of beacons within them. And what it allows the company that send the marketing email to do is to know if you've opened it, how many times you've opened it, etc. So there are some positive uses. It's, it's as you said, it's, it's one of consent and it's one of knowing about it. And unfortunately, we don't know what's going on in the background today. And I think, you know, that, that sums up almost, uh, you know, kind of encapsulate, doesn't it, the, the wider data security challenge that we have. And I think it was interesting listening to the way he was describing that because it, it, it did kind of remind me of uh, this idea of insider threat. You know, we can block the, you know, we can build a wall around our, our data, you know, maybe within our secure data center or whatever. We can build that wall around it and we can stop the things that we know about. The problem comes in that the people who've got access to the things that they should have and are doing the things that they should be doing, but then start doing things that they shouldn't. So you might have all the right access in the world. The fact that you're then stealing data or letting that data drift out of the organization, that's not blocked by those things because all the rules are correct. It's the stuff that's going on within there that you don't know about that becomes a problem. You know, we, we talk about this idea of insider threat all the time, you know, this idea yep. of assuming you're breach. And I thought it was an interesting parallel with the way you were talking there, which is, you know, we can use things like ad blocker, you know, we can put firewall rules and proxies in place that stop you going to places you shouldn't. But it's even when you go to the places that you should, that you don't know what's going on. That becomes that insider threat. I've gone to a website that I should be going to, but I've got no idea about the data that's been collated and the impact that I might have both from a performance point of view and certainly in my head at least, from at least equally if not even more so important is the idea that I'm, I'm potentially opening up data exploits because I'm keeping information or information has been dropped to my machine and that information has been shared in ways that I just have no control over and don't know about and I think it's really interesting that you guys have looked to architect a solution that starts to give us not just visibility into that, but but some control around it. So, um, I, I mean, just to just to wrap up then. So, so I, I mean, hopefully, like me, lots of people have listened to this and thought, well, that's really interesting. Um, and I would certainly be interested to find out how I understand what's on my machine. So, so I mean, how can people find out a little bit more about what you guys do and the solution you've put together? Uh, do you have a way that people can maybe eval stuff or or maybe try it out a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the obvious one, as as with every company today, is there is a website. So by all means, visit www. Which no doubt will be dropping cookies and, and has beacons all over it so that you know we're doing it. The only, as, I, as I said, the, on, the only cookie we, we do use is Google Analytics. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'm upfront and honest about it. And that's simply because I want to know who's been on the website, um, as does, does any business. So we do use a Google Analytics cookie, but that's, that's as far as it goes with our website. Um, having said that, we use a cookie... If you register, 
um, on our website, which you can do or request an evaluation, then we will use a cookie on your machine so you've got your registration information. But that's as far as it goes. Um, but if you go to the website, you can register there. You can download an evaluation there. We also have a new analysis tool, which um, is a free tool and it's a standalone utility and you can literally just run it on your machine and it will show you what we would do to your machine in the sense of how much data we would get rid of, how much more space we could find out, um, how many cookies we delete on your machine, how many tracking and advertising cookies there are. What we obviously are not showing you is the contents of web caches and things like that because we don't want to open up security issues at this point but we're quite happy to sit down and do that analysis with you if it's something you want us to do okay so uh, yeah that, and i think that's actually quite an interesting insight and you know and, and you've sent me a link to the demo and it, it's not a, or to the, the that kind of um that kind of eval tool so um i, I will be running that and, and finding out uh, just how much stuff's on my machine that i didn't know about but um and and if people want to be able to uh get in contact with you or ask you questions can they uh, follow you online find you on twitter that kind of stuff um, yeah, I mean, by all means, follow, follow, you're best off following the company because there's most thing that comes on that. My Twitter handle is currently being revamped. Um, I think I was hacked a while ago, so I'm changing things personally. Um, but we're just search for Avani underscore LTD um, on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Facebook um, and, and mainly follow the company there. Everything I sort of do, um, we do through that. Okay, well that's great. Well, I think I say I think I, hopefully people um, people will agree. I think that's a fascinating topic and something I knew uh, next to nothing about um, until we met a few weeks ago. And um, so yeah, so thanks for sharing that, Francesco. I think that's been uh, been really insightful. And uh, thanks for spending some time with me. And look, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Not a problem, sir. Thanks a lot for your time. Hope you enjoyed that episode. For show notes, pop over to techstringy.com. We'll also find all of our previous Tech Interviews episodes. Uh, next week, I'm away at NetApp Insight in Berlin. So when I get back, look out for a whole bunch of shows around the topics of data management. If you want to catch those, why not subscribe? You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher and all other good homes of podcasts. So until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.